And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Keep him coming, sweetheart. <laughs> you can't you can't be stealing my shit, man. I'm sorry that I laugh at everything you do because it's just hilarious. And I imagine I imagine you, a young how old were you when you did that? 18. I imagine an 18-year-old Justin looking like Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. With the, <laughs> with the, with the mono tooth in the front there. <laughs> Keep them coming, sweetheart. <laughs> it's, it's pure gold. But anyways, how are you? Fabulous. No complaints. Oh, good. That's always good to hear. I'm glad. Uh, I have a stomach thing going on. I don't know what happened, but it might have been the food I ate last night. So I'll be good, though. If I go silent, call 911. <laughs> I have to eat so I can take my back pill. <laughs> yeah. He's got his own car. <laughs> He's got a car. <laughs> God, Art's an asshole. Yeah, he's pretty bad. Thanks for noticing, yeah. Art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fighting man. That's another way. Now, what have you been watching or playing? I know you like to play a lot of the Vigi games. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the winter time is just a video game time for me. But yes, finishing up Skyrim, I'm pretty much done with it just because I'm tired of the side missions. You can't be done with Skyrim. You're never finished with Skyrim. (laughs) No. It's like never ending. There's always something else that happens, and it's always a cave crawl. Story. (laughs) Ah. Atreyu. (laughs) So, uh, but then uh, you bought me Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and it's fun. I've been playing that quite a bit. It's just like the Division Two, which I played, and the Division One, I guess, for that matter. (laughs) The Division also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Division Number Two is the one that I mastered, and I I like sixty. Almost 69 hours in the division two. I was like, whoa. That's pretty good. So yeah, I got a cool gun uh in <laughs> Ghost Recon for it. I noticed that. And then I got some cool patches and stuff. So that was neat. Yeah. But it's all about the backpack yeah. with the with the little dangly things. I always had a mm-hmm. like a bear or something dangling off my backpack in division. <laughs> and a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, I gotta do the cowboy hat every time. <laughs> Holy shit. Howdy party. Yeah, I got some I got some pretty cool hats and uh what did I get today? Uh, just some different tattoos. I've been uh, racking up the the schmeckle dollars or whatever they're called, Shrek dollars. The Shrek bucks. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, I've been playing that. It's really fun. And then I watched uh, One Night in Miami. It is Regina King's directorial debut. It is fantastic. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it is a it was a play originally, and it was developed for the screen with the original playwright, I forgot his name, and then uh, Regina King directed it, but it is about Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, uh, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke all kind of discuss their stance on civil rights in uh, 1964, I believe. Uh, Man, it is remarkable. Just captivating dialogue. She's, yeah, Regina Regina King is amazing, and then I just found out that she's she's an amazing director too, so it's really, really good. Anyways, Watch that does one. It, does it play the Will Smith song, Miami? Welcome to Miami. <laughs> no. <laughs> Pardon the city where the heat is on. 
No, but Leslie Odom Jr. plays Sam Cooke, and I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, he was in Hamilton. I know you haven't seen it, but he's been in some other stuff, like Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, I haven't seen that one, or I haven't seen neither the original or the new one for Murder on the Orient Express, but I know who he is. Yeah, uh, he's got a fantastic singing voice, so obviously he plays Sam Cooke, and he does an incredible job. So it's very good. And then I watched a horrible movie called The Little Things. It just came out on HBO Max, uh, I think last week. I this the, the cast on paper looks amazing. It's Rami Malek, Denzel Washington, and Jared Leto. It's two cops in LA. One's an old vet who has to come back and teach the new up-and-coming detective how to catch a killer. Uh, it's Did been they do done. The old box and a stick and... And they just put like a like a tasty treat under the box. And then the young detective goes, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I shit you not. It is a carbon copy of pretty much any detective story that you, you've heard of. I mean, it's it's a carbon copy of seven. Is it there just, voiceover? That'd be it cool. It fails. No, but it fails miserably. It was awful. It was a slow, slow burn with a horrible payoff at the end. And it feels like it was just discombobulated. The editing was ugly. Um, Rami Malek, he's, I don't know. The jury's out about his acting. I, I don't know if he's that good. <laughs> it's weird. I feel like they were all phoning it in, but doesn't everybody like him though? Yeah. Everyone loves him because Bohemian Rhapsody, which I still think is a horrible movie. I think it was the worst movie of 2018, but that's just my opinion. So he was, um, he was on this sitcom with Michael Rappaport called the war at home. And I, mm. he was like this really weird boy that was like best friends with the son, but he was yeah. gay, but he was like closeted gay. And so, but he was really funny about wanting to just come over and like hang out and always be close to his, his no. best friend <laughs> that he was in love with. But uh, he has like these huge mega eyes. And he was also in Pacific, yeah. <laughs> the Pacific. It's sort of like the Band of Brothers kind of spiritual oh, yes. successor. He was mm-hmm. in that too, but he played a total creepo in that with like, his big old crazy eyes. <laughs> he does have a distinct look. Um, and he was in uh, Mr. Robot. I think that's what kind of really made him popular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and and I feel like he has little moments of, of greatness, but uh, I just don't even know with this role. I feel like he wasn't even there. It was just crazy. But anyways, it's on HBO Max. And I would recommend say, or, you know, just check it out for yourself. But don't waste your time. Honestly, it is. It's fucking garbage. I was so mad. <laughs> I thought, you know what's funny is, uh, do a, is Bohemian Rhapsody like universally like hated, or is it? Are you the only one? Are you in the minority that doesn't like it? Or I don't really know the answer to that. So how can I put it politely? Um, people who understand film, I am not in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> it um, let's just let's just say this: it won for best editing and best sound mixing. Uh, and at the Oscars, <clears throat> which, you know, are a joke, but there is a scene when when they're all kind of talking about uh, getting their record label. It's pretty early on in the movie. There's like 57 different cuts for this one scene that you could have used six cuts and it would have conveyed the exact same thing. But it's jarring how many edits there are. And it won for best editing. It is it is like the prime example of how to not edit. It's really fucking bizarre. And then uh, for the sound mixing, like. I guess, but they're also using Queen songs to cut in. So I'm like, how does that work? It beat out a quiet place. 
A Quiet Place is a movie derived of sound. I mean, like it's, you know, it's exempt of sound, I should say, for certain aspects. But I mean, the sound that's on the screen is phenomenal. And so it, it just it was like a popular vote. Um, I just know that a lot of people who I don't really trust their opinions and I apologize if I offend anybody, but who I don't really stand behind their opinions on film when they told me, oh, my God, Bohemian Rhapsody was so great. I was like, huh. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I, I liked it. But then as it went on, I'm like, I really didn't like that. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah, I'm not in the minority, um, but I'm also it's hard to explain. All but right. you, I, I think you, you, you get what I'm saying. Have, sure. have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. And I love Queen. Uh, so I haven't I haven't uh, haven't bothered. I don't know. I, I hate, I, I'm, I'm not just, really a biopic kind of person. I like sports yeah. biopics, but I don't like mm-hmm music biopics well it's kind of like a sport because we will rock you is sure. like <laughs> Purple Cobras. every we will yeah. we will rock you uh yeah. michelle and then i watched uh austin powers a spy who shagged me and i watched school of rock oh man are we still answering this question <laughs> sorry you hey you asked me you asked me a couple of things i watched a lot it was a busy bee i'm sorry yeah, yeah, Li- no, living alone is, is boring <laughs> during Live quarantine alone okay justin i'm sorry i apologize i yield i yield my time to you what did you watch i don't think i have the time to answer this question (laughs) we're we're busy bees no i just been uh watching babylon 5 it's on hbo max and i love that show in the 90s and um just soaking it up love every second of it it's not for everyone but i think because i watched it when it was new the cg doesn't really bother me Mm. and so i really dig it it's more about the people than it is about the the visual effects, but sure. Um, I dig it. It's actually a pretty diverse cast too. Like they went out of their way to, to really make, like have like representation, uh, mostly because it's all these different crazy aliens coming together on this one station. This, this, this shiny beacon of hope all alone in the night, basically. Um, cool. but it's a really cool show. I dig it. Um, but yeah, just watching that. Oh, I guess the family guy. I've been watching that a lot lately. That's on in the background while I'm working. And, I'll just randomly laugh at the dumbest jokes ever. The whole plot doesn't really amaze me, but I'll just laugh at something and I'll, and I'll crack up laughing. It drives out. Like, <laughs> I know, right? Shit. Like, <laughs> I used to like Family Guy, but then it really went downhill. South Park has not done that. South Park has stayed relevant throughout the years. It's mm. funny. I mean, it's just, it's so the beginning of the episode, it's like The Simpsons where you have no idea where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, every second it just changes course so drastically that it gets uh, it's hard to follow. Not not yeah. in the sense of it's confusing. It's just if you have it as background noise and you're coming and going, you're not even going to know which episode you're still on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I got you. Yeah. Changed so much. But anyway, are you ready to talk about this week's motion picture show? Yes, sir. All right. We are going to be doing Nightcrawler. This came as a suggestion to us on the Twitter there. came out in 2014. It was written and directed by Dan Gilroy, who you might know from Roman J. Israel Esquire and Velvet Buzzsaw. He also wrote Kong Skull Island, The Bourne Legacy, and Real Steel, which is that uh, Hugh Jackman robot. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. (laughs) Yeah, boxing movie. Uh, That's good. I enjoyed it. Saw it in the theater. It's fun. <laughs> How many Starbucks did you sneak in with you on that? Yeah, zero. <laughs> I learned my lesson. <laughs> Holy shit. But I just like boxing, so oh, I'll yeah, take it. That's true. 
I'll take it. I tried to get like a, a Cause you know, Target started carrying the Rock'em Sock'em robots in like that vintage toy section, like the back end cap. And I thought it would be really cool to have matches in the break room. And <laughs> I was going to be the announcer and call like, do like play for play kind of stuff. And, uh, it got shut down. I couldn't do it. I like that idea. I know. That's I good. thought uh, people were only going to take bets and stuff. So it, oh, I think, I think it would have got out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have been fun. There you go. Anyway. Maybe maybe next time. <laughs> we'll see what your mother says. Uh, the cast is uh, an interesting group of individuals. You, you got Jake Gyllenhaal, who excels at playing a creeper. You got Riz Ahmed, Rene Russo, and Bill Paxton. We like him. Yeah. Saddened by his passing. Go see two guns. Yeah. And Rene Russo, I actually really like her. She so is one two of my favorite moments in all of the marvel cinematic universe have mm. her in them <laughs> so yeah. which is saying a lot <laughs> yeah she's great she's so amazing she's on screen for like eight seconds but i think she absolutely nails it uh, in thor dark world when she just whips out her sword and she's like all right dude let's do this and she's not even scared i thought that was so badass and then well her interaction with thor in um Endgame. Endgame. It just brings me to tears every time. It's so great. I know. It's super sad. Yeah, she's fantastic. Lethal Weapon 3, Lethal Weapon 4, <laughs> Tin <Yeah>. Cup. <laughs> yeah, Tin Cup. Oh, my God. Yeah. Therapy. I like her a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Finding Woman, up down all the way. As far as the critical reception goes, this movie actually did pretty well on the old Rotten Tomato meter there. It is sitting at a whopping 95% certified fresh. Wow. I'll be damned. The audience score is actually 85%. So uh, it's doing pretty good. It's a good movie. You should go see it. And we saw it on Netflix, I believe, is where it was streaming. Is that correct? Yeah. That's what I watched it on. Okay. Yeah. That's what I watched it on, too. I think that we need to do a better job of saying how and where we saw it. Uh, we try yeah, we to do, do that. movies that we are that are available on streaming. Uh, sometimes they are on paid premium services like Stars or HBO, but... For the most part, it's accessible without having to uh, go to your Ma and Pa video store or Redbox or some obscure movie. As much as I love doing the obscure movies, uh, I think it just makes more sense for everyone to be able to have just a little bit more access to these motion picture shows. In this case, this movie was on Netflix. Cool. Sound fair? Yeah, totally. I think you wanted to do 310 to Yuma next. And if that is the case, I don't believe it's streaming anywhere. Yeah. I, I, mean, I had to buy it. So did I. We can you, you adjust. Owe me, you owe me five bucks. <laughs> Put it on my tab. <laughs> <laughs> we can, uh, yeah, we $5, can. Five dollars, Zach. That. You owe me five dollars. <laughs> you owe me two hundred dollars. I dare you talk to me like that in my kitchen. You owe me two hundred dollars. You're just an MTV girl. That's so funny. <laughs> I don't know what an MTV girl is. <laughs> You're wild. Oh my god, it's so great. Head body head. How did the casting work for that movie when when they needed to find like seven very unique looking women? <laughs> like, what do you what do you put on that? Like, I just it's it's, it's so weird how yeah the features on these women are striking. <laughs> One of them is Conan O'Brien's sister, 
I the, believe it. The, the redhead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure some of them were really from uh, Charleston or wherever they were. Not Charleston. I think it's yeah, Lowell. Charleston somewhere. Lowell. Lowell. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, they're from that area. Uh, that's what I remember hearing. Sure. But, I don't know. Finding women. Okay. Um, let's see here. As far as the critical reception goes, we have Dwight Brown from the National Newspaper Publishers Association. I bet that comes with a badge, and that's awesome. Intriguing, unnerving, and haunting is his description. I'd probably add off-putting and creepy. <laughs> Gross. He ran out of pudding, see. That's why he's <laughs> off-putting. <laughs> yeah. It is, uh, yeah. Heebie-jeebie. I don't like it. You also have the Kate Erbland from Film School Rejects. So they know what they're talking about. They were kicked out of film school. Make no mistake. all the rules. <laughs> yeah. they, they took the book and threw it out the window. Yeah. Probably wrote it at first because kids do that. Make no mistake. Nightcrawler is a major work for everyone involved. I don't even know what that means, man. Scott Marks from the San Diego Reader. No one reads in San Diego. They're all busy on their boats and shit. A gritty urban comedy noir, a scathing network-worthy disembowelment of television news gatherers that will leave you craving a shower. Now that, I believe. I felt so dirty after watching this, and I tried to make a joke about it, but a lot of times it falls flat when it comes to like the rape shower because it's not funny. Yeah. I just felt that way. Like I just wanted to just sit in the corner of my shower and and cleanse myself of the dirtiness of this movie. Yeah. So there you have it. There was a negative review somewhere, but I lost it. Patrick Gamble from Cineview. Um, he says uh, the film's inability to empower these feeble social stabs with any with any authenticity or depth of investigation leaves events feeling flat and forgettable. Hmm. hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. It might have been on his phone while he was watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Because, I mean, as much as this movie <clears> is <throat> kind of a slow burn, you really can't look away because a lot of it is nonverbal. There's a lot of yes. no talking in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, the cinematography was fantastic in it. But maybe he was watching X-Men and he was just maybe. thinking of Nightcrawler. Kurt Wagner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was like, where's the circus at? Um <laughs> So that's the thing. This is a movie where you're not always listening to dialogue. You're more watching events play out. And that doesn't mm -hmm. always work for everyone, especially those that need talking points. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie's about about him selling footage, about video within a video, essentially. Right. So it's about watching. It's not things. called Night Talker Guy. Come on, man. <laughs> Anyway, the budget was yeah. The budget was estimated at eight point five million dollars. Opening weekend, it saw ten point four million, and that was on November second, twenty fourteen. It grossed a whopping thirty two point three million, and worldwide, you're looking at forty seven point three million dollars. I'll be damned. Trivia time. Oh, yeah. So Jake Gyllenhaal, he was he was thin. He lost 20 pounds for his role. This was Gyllenhaal's own idea as he visualized Lou as a hungry coyote. Ugh. 
scary. Wily coyote. <laughs> there you go. Me beep. He should just have uh, a bunch of acme shit in his little van. <laughs> Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed rode along with actual night crawlers in Los Angeles to prepare for their roles. I did not know that was an actual thing. I don't live in LA though, so that's really disturbing. Director Dan Gilroy on the... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody walks in LA. Nobody yeah, walks in LA. Director Dan Gilroy on the impetus for the film. I think to some degree, it's certainly an indictment of local television news, but I'd like to cast a wider net in the sense that all of us really watch these images. I would hope that maybe a viewer would take it further and maybe go, why do I watch these images? And how many of these images do I want to put into my own spirit? Huh. It's like a self-reflection. Impetus? Is that the word you're looking for? Yeah, impetus. I'm dumb. Whatever. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal memorized the entire movie like a play. Wow. It's pretty hardcore. I, I, I can't even remember my own birthday, let alone a play. Well, he's pretty much in every scene. He is. He actually is in every single scene, which is crazy. The filmmakers made a point of not having Lou Bloom undergo a character arc because they felt they or that he would have become a certain type of person and stayed that way as an adult. Ah. That was also why the initial scene has Lou assaulting and robbing a security guard. It was important that the audience not feel Lou become a worse person because of his work as a nightcrawler, but instead recognized he was as male- or he was malevolent from the start. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting because I wish I knew that trivia before I started mm-hmm. thinking about questions that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> no worries. No worries. We can, we can discuss it. We'll go into That's it. That's my fault. No, don't worry. Uh, despite receiving nominations for Best Actor at the Golden Globes, BAFTAs, SAG, Critics' Choice Awards, Independent Spirit Awards, and even the Saturn Awards, Jake Gyllenhaal failed to receive an Academy Award nomination. Critics, audiences, major film groups, and publications consider this a major snub. He is only one of eight actors that this has happened to. Justin, I know you don't like the Academy Awards, but do you think he deserved at least a nomination for his role? I don't know. Um, I think he's good at playing a creeper, but I feel like... I feel like he's always a creeper, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I don't it was think, much of a stretch for me. I don't think he's always a creeper. I think he he does really good in, in all of his different movies. That he's I like him in Bubble, Bubble Boy. Bubble if he's Boy. not going to win for Bubble Boy, <laughs> then I'm not interested. He's good in October Sky. Uh, he was good in... What was that big movie that he was in? I didn't like I him in know. the movie where the prisoners... I felt I like he was like movie. the same... <sighs> I just kept thinking him in the movie Prisoners for some reason. That's I mean, I don't know. Movie. I'm not a good, I'm not a good judge of of acting talent. I don't know. I mean, I like Starship Troopers and everyone in it that's in it. <laughs> so I am, I am discredited. It doesn't. Let me work. tell you something. <laughs> I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say kill them all. Yeah. So I, I don't know the good actors. It doesn't. It doesn't. He was really good in Brokeback Mountain. I think he did an excellent job in that. Prisoners, he was fantastic in. I didn't see End of Watch, but I've heard he was awesome in oh, that movie. Man, that movie's hard to watch too, man. So it, is, it is rough. It's good. It's really good. I was having like heart palpitations watching it. Stress me out. He's good in, in Jarhead. I don't really like that movie that much, but he's he's actually really good in Jarhead. Mm. Um, so yeah, to answer bubble, your question, I, I don't know. I don't... I, who do you know? Can you tell me who which actors... Were nominated for Best Actor in 2014. Let me just look really quick. I mean, there has to be a loser. You can only have so many people, right? (laughs) 
Matthew McConaughey, so Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club, uh, Christian Bale, American Hustle, Bruce Dern, Nebraska, Leo DiCaprio, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave. There you go. Matthew, That's a very tough year, man. It is. Matthew McConaughey won for Dallas Buyers Club. There you go. Um, you probably could have taken Bruce Dern out, but he is a good actor, and I heard his performance in Nebraska was fantastic, so that's why it's kind of like, eh. So, <clears throat> and I think Christian Bale wasn't that great in American Hustle, so I probably would have taken him out and put Jake Gyllenhaal in Yeah, but American Hustle, dude, that got all kinds of nods that year. I remember that I movie was all over the goddamn place. Yeah, it was up for like six awards. I did not think it was that good. Randy really enjoyed it. I don't know. It was okay. It's just... Okay, at best, but anyways. Uh, but, I mean, ready? it's it's oh. it's one of those ensemble casts where, I mean, who's in it? It's Amy Adams, Bradley Cooper, fucking Christian Bale, and Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. That's a lot mm-hmm. of people. And Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a ton. So, I mean, I didn't get it. And David O. Russell, he came off of winning for Best Picture for uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Mm-hmm. So everyone was like, oh, dude, he's so good. He's yeah, he had the buzz. Mm-hmm. Jake so Gyllenhaal's I, bubble I boy, and people don't like that. He, they, he wasn't planning on cutting the vato. No, you only get what you give. Muties, <laughs> <laughs> baby. Muties. <laughs> okay, can I move forward? Are we? Yes, done? <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> I've been trying to. You're always so funny. Uh, okay, so uh, Betty Thief. Lu- Fuck, hang on. Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> Petty thief Louis Lou Bloom is caught stealing from a Los Angeles construction site by a security guard. He attacks the guard, steals his watch, and leaves with the stolen material. After selling the material at a scrapyard, Lou asks her a job, but the foreman says he does not hire thieves. While driving home, Lou sees a crash, a car crash, and pulls over. Stringers, who are freelance, freelance, <laughs> photojournalists, oh, arrive, and re- <laughs> freelance. <laughs> arrive and record two police officers pulling a woman from the burning wreck. One of the stringers, Joe Loader, tells Lou that they sell their footage to local news stations. Inspired, Lou steals a bicycle and pawns it for a camcorder and her police radio scanner. After two unsuccessful attempts at recording incidents, Lou records the aftermath of a fatal carjacking and sells the footage to KWLA 6. Is that a real news station? By the no. way? Oh, okay. The morning news director, Nina Romani. Romina. Nina Romina tells him the station Nina is Nina Romina? Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> Julia Julia. <laughs> tells him the station is especially interested in footage of graphic accidents and violent crime in affluent white areas, especially those committed by minority suspects. Lou hires an assistant, Rick, a young hustler desperate for money. To give his footage more impact, Lou tampers with crime scenes. In one case, moving a body to get a better camera angle. As Lou's work gains traction, he buys better equipment and a faster car. Lou pressures Nina into a date, t- telling her he <laughs> knows she. <laughs> we were just singing that. I know. <laughs> Cross the border and into the city, <laughs> telling her he knows she is desperate for higher ratings. <laughs> On their date, he threatens to terminate his business with Nina unless she has sex with him, and it is implied that she acquiesces. Ugh. Lou turns down an offer to work for Joe, but when Joe beats him to an important plane crash story and mocks him for rejecting his offer, Nina demands that Lou get better footage and keep his end of their bargain. In retaliation, Lou sabotages, sabotages Joe's van, causing him to crash into a lamppost and leaving him severely injured. Lou films the, him being taken away in an ambulance. Later, Lou and Rick arrive before the police at the site of a triple homicide home invasion in Granada Hills. 
Lou records footage of the gunmen leaving in their SUV and of the victims in the house. The news staff fret over the ethics of the footage, but Nina is eager to break the story. In exchange, Lou demands public credit and more money. Police detective Fronteri shows up at Lou's apartment to question him about his connection to the home invasion. He gives her edited footage of the incident, cutting out the parts with the gunmen. That night, Lou and Rick track down the driver to his house, staking out the house until his partner arrives. Lou wants to follow them more to a more crowded public area, then call the police and record the ensuing confrontation. Alarmed, Rick demands half the money Lou stands to make, threatening to tell the police about Lou's criminal negligence. Lou agrees. When the gunmen stop at a restaurant, Lou phones the police, warning them that the suspects are armed. They arrive and exchange gunfire. A police officer is shot, and one of the killers is fatally gunned down while the other manages to escape in the SUV. The police give chase with Lou and Rick tailing and recording, culminating in in a long multiple-car collision. After the gunman's SUV crashes, Lou approaches the vehicle, claiming that the gunman is dead and urging Rick to film him. The gunman is revealed to be alive. He shoots Rick, glances at Lou, who continues to film him, and then commits suicide by cop. As Rick lies dying, Lou films him and tells him that he cannot work with someone who has leverage over him. Nina is awed by the chase footage and expresses her devotion to Lou. The news team discovers that the home invasion was actually the criminals breaking in to steal cocaine that the homeowners were stashing. Nina refuses to report this information to maximize the story's impact. Police try to confiscate the footage as evidence, but Nina defends her right to withhold it and airs it immediately. Lou voluntarily speaks with Detective Fronteri. Uh, while being in- interrogated by Fronteri, L- Lou fabricates a story about the men in the SUV following him. Fronteri knows he is lying, but cannot prove it. Later, Lou hires a team of interns to expand his business, telling hi- telling them he wouldn't have them do anything he wouldn't do himself. That's Nightcrawler. That's Nightcrawler. <laughs> then he goes to the White House and beats the shit out of all the guys. <laughs> he's just misunderstood all right there you have it so when when was the first time you saw this movie uh i probably saw this around 2016 17 somewhere around that time uh no it's probably like 2015 2016 <laughs> uh my, my buddy travis he actually works for a uh a police department i won't say but um he is uh he's good at he does like the video forensics and stuff and so he films things um i mean he's not a, he's not a stringer he doesn't go around filming this kind of stuff but i'm sure that he's had some sort of macabre scene right but he uh he turned me on to it. he's like yeah it's like really good and then someone else and i can't remember who it was said Hall's performance is awesome uh, i watched it and i really enjoyed it the first time i watched it really really enjoyed it this second view, or I think this is like my third viewing. Uh, I really liked it. I just didn't feel good at the end of it. And it's it's one of those ones that I don't know if I if I need to watch again for a while. Um, it just it was very interesting. <laughs> so, sure. yeah. So we talked about that a little bit earlier, like just how it is an off putting film. Like, how do you how do you typically deal with recovering from an unsettling movie like this? What do you do? Do you watch cartoons? Ugh. Do you go run? Do you ride your bike? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of depends on the time of day. Because if it's yeah, if it's during the daytime, I'll go like work out or do something or go on a walk or. Well, let's get just coffee. say it's two in the morning and you have to go to bed, but you just watch this movie and you don't really want to go to bed. Then what do you do? No, um, I'll watch like I'll go on Reddit or I'll go to YouTube and type in like funny cat videos or something. <laughs> right. Just try to find some humor in life because. 
it just feels weird. I, I specifically remember after I watched Joker in theaters, I saw it during the daytime with my friend Matt and we walk out and I'm just like, I need some sunshine or something, man. I feel really uneasy. Um, and it's just one of those movies that's like that. Nightcrawler had that kind of effect on me. I went to Reddit and I was just browsing funny memes and just laughing, laughing and laughing and laughing. I was laughing and laughing. Or video games, maybe. I don't know. Something not as dark, morbid or sad. Sure. That's <laughs> what fair. about you? Uh, first time I saw it was two weeks ago when we were told to watch this movie for our homework. <laughs> I hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when it was over, I, I was just like, I don't really want to do anything right now. So I just put on King of the Hill and just laughed for a little while because <laughs> it was already kind of late. <laughs> yeah. I was like, eh, shit, I'll just put a smile on my face. Be a bright and shiny bot, though. There you go. <laughs> the bright and shiny cult. And Bubble Boy, my favorite. But, yeah. I, I mean, I know that there are times when I've watched unsettling movies like this, and I tend to... It always seems to be at night. I never watch this stuff in the day. I'm not really a, a day watcher. Like, I, I'm usually working or involved in some activity, so it's, it's actually kind of hard for me to watch any kind of movie or TV show during the day. Um, I'm not paying attention. I got a million things going on around me. So my part of my unwinding process is watching movies. And that always seems to be in the nighttime. But at the same time, there's this elevation, like this elevated, uh, like this heightened sense of, of, of immersion that happens because I tend to not have the lights on and, you know, it's sort of an intimate environment. And so I'm, I'm tend to be more invested in whatever it is that I am watching. So that helps. It's just, yeah. if it's a scary movie or if it's an unsettling movie, then it usually got its way under my skin and I'm like, fuck, I can't go to bed or I'll have a dream about this. And, and Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be telling me to dance on camera and it's going to be gross and I'm not going to like it. So it's going to take you to a Mexican restaurant and <laughs> yeah, lay his pitch out there for you. Exactly. Jeez. But yeah. I mean, I, I do enjoy that part of it, though, is that, uh, you know, I like feeling uncomfortable in movies because it's connecting with me in some way. I'm not absolutely. bored, as it were. No, absolutely. We almost empathize in, in a certain way because we're like, what's yeah. going on? We feel weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> Make it stop. <laughs> now, you actually brought up an interesting point. Uh, I think it was last week where you were talking about how a lot of times the locale in a movie will be its own character, you know, and, and there are a lot of films that take place in Los Angeles uh, drive once upon a time in Hollywood, a uh, training day is probably a good one. La La Land collateral. Um, unlike any other setting, uh, the city of Los Angeles plays an important role in these films and uh, it's almost like its own character. And um, you know, why is this? Do you have, do you have any favorite examples of, of movies like that? Yeah, uh, I, you know, ever since we did Drive, I was really thinking about this, um, our Drive episode. I was really thinking about L.A. And you live in California. You live, you work in L.A. Um, I am just a visitor. I've been there maybe like five times. But each time I go there, I just have this kind of aura. There's this aura in the city. And I don't know what it is, but it's just kind of one of those fast paced cities that's so incredibly vast. Uh, my buddy Mark he tells it, he, he said it best to me when I was visiting him, he, but he lives there. He lives in like WeHo or something, but he was explaining, you know, everyone's at 11 and it's, it's just super cutthroat there. And I'm like, that makes sense. Everyone is, is just that much more amped up. 
Um, and like, I've been <laughs> it's to, so funny because I don't see that at all. Like, but I mean, yeah. I noticed that I was like that when I moved to Washington. You know, I, I'm trying to go, and everyone else is just on fucking island time, and they're just cruising around. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, you gotta get. I know you are in the yeah. left lane. That is code oh. for fast. Ugh. I'm yeah. I'm a Washington I'm a Washington native and that drives me bananas. People when people sit in the left lane, they I mean yeah. they they pull people over for that now and give them tickets, but people don't give a shit. It's yeah, like, you're right, no like parking lot, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but in New York, it has a similar vibe in films. I mean, if you've seen a film in New York, Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> oh yeah, Hot Town, Summer in the City. Yeah, Hot Town, Summer in the City. So it has a similar vibe as this character in film, but I think just the size of L.A. When people say, "Oh, I'm out in the valley" or whatever, right? It, it allows the, this these movies to just appear. How can I put it? Um, distant yet also familiar. If that makes sense. It's it's just so big. And I feel like when you're in L.A., you're kind of like, wait, where is this? Oh, I know this area. This is all the way out here. And it looks like something completely different. Whereas you go to New York and you're like, oh, this is Brooklyn. This is Queens. This is whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I just I think it's it's really gritty, too. So like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you have this glitz and glamour of the Hollywood Hills. And then you go to Cliff Booth place and it's super gritty it's behind a fucking drive-in movie theater you know uh but it's this weird kind of sunshine grit sort of vapid way um and i, I think that encapsulates or it's like a microcosm for hollywood for people who call it hollywood you know it's, it's for the dreamers <laughs> um and i just I, I really don't think it could be filmed in any other city i think it, it plays into everything aside from the fact that stringers probably i'm sure they exist all over but i feel like la is really prominent for them um, but I feel like it's just so cutthroat there and uh, lose whole determination and desires to make, make a name for himself, make something for himself. And I feel like that is, again, a microcosm for L.A. Like you have to yeah, you get make going. Got to right? get, get hit a big. Yeah, there you, you discovered. go. Yeah. And, you know, the footprint of Los Angeles is pretty large. I mean, yeah. You figure there's a billion different area codes like 213, 310. For all you uh, I got hoes in different area L- codes. Ludicrous fans. <laughs> 818, yeah. 323, you know, there's a lot. And so there's a lot of people, there's a lot of cars, a lot of freeways. And it's just so funny how he's like, hey, how do I get to here? And, you know, what's the quickest way? And they're trying, he can't keep up. Um, uh, what's his name? Riz Ahmed. What's his character's name in the movie? Rick. 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 Yeah, Ricardo. Ricardo Grande. He is not able to keep up with the GPS, and it's such a big area, and they're trying to cover so much space. And and this movie, you know, they're trying to hang out in like the 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 rich white areas. So I guess that makes it a little bit easier because you know that Los Angeles is definitely divided in classes. You know, there's there's a million different neighborhoods all with different sort of subclasses. And, um, you know, they, in this particular movie, the goal was to get minorities doing bad things in rich neighborhoods. That's what, um, Julia Gulia was after. <laughs> yeah. Nina, Nina Romina. <laughs> that, was that her name? Yeah. Was? <laughs> Nina Romina. Yeah. Crazy. Right. So, um, you know, it's interesting that you, you feel that way about Los Angeles, too, because uh, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be L.A. I mean, you know, like Indiana Jones movies are really good about the setting being a character, too, I think. You know, whether it be sure. a temple of doom or or some Nazi castle or something. Um, you know, it's really you just kind of absorbed in that. But Los Angeles is different because it has so many different um, areas, you know, like we, I just watched Predator 2 the other day. Right. And it's mm. described as the concrete jungle. <clears throat> and because norm, the first predator was in the jungle, right? But now we, there ain't no trees in Los Angeles unless it's a palm tree. But um, it just felt like a really scary and gnarly place to be. And as someone that has has spent a bulk of my existence in the greater L.A. area, I always found that sort of remarkable. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I know that area. <laughs> and you and you can do that for films like that are based out of Chicago or New York. You know, you'll see some things that that show you where you are, but you'll still kind of get a feel like, oh, I'm in the South Side of Chicago for this. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in, in L.A., it's so vast, like the footprint. I mean, shit, like I don't know anything about the valley. All I know is it's gigantic and it's crazy to drive all that way i mean i feel like again yeah <laughs> i feel like again uh to beat a dead horse but once upon a time in hollywood when he drives out to spawn ranch it, i feel like they drove for at fucking hours to get out mm-hmm. there and it's just it's like a whole other world but you're still technically like in los angeles sure. or county or whatever but yeah yeah and then in terms of uh la sorry to answer your other part in terms of other good examples of la films scream three pulp fiction falling down uh drive La La Land, so Falling Nightcrawler. Down's a, that's and, a good one. Terminator 2 also. So. Yeah. Uh, Falling Down's a great one for this because it's all hot. You know, he's stuck in traffic. And just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dude, I can't tell you how many commuters. <laughs> I mean, there's probably 8 million people that can all relate to that fucking scene where he just gets out of his car like, fuck this shit. I'm leaving. I can get home. He's like, home. I'm walking home. That's like his response. They're like, hey, buddy, where you going? He's like, hey, fuck off. I'm walking home. And like, I totally get that. Like, I, I, as someone that has is taken three hours to get home, and it's it's like thirty miles, and you're just like, fuck. I literally could have watched Lord of the Rings extended cut right now, and I and it, I would have finished before I got home. And oh. it's a t- it just sucks your soul. So like, you know, there's always these. These whole things, like this argument of you know, someone like like Bodhi in, in Pulp Fiction or not Pulp Fiction, um, Point Break, where he's like, you know, you're crazy. How could you? How can you rob these banks? And it's like, well, what if I what if I told you crazy is sitting in a car for fucking six hours of your day, just commuting to work? You know, it's like, yeah, to me that's crazy, and it's and it's it's so bizarre, and we just take that as the norm. Like it's. This is what America is, is getting in, getting up cracked on so you can sit in a line of, of traffic to get to work. And that's absurd. Yeah. That is crazy. Absolutely. And I mean, these movies wouldn't really you can't put them in any other setting or city because it just wouldn't have the same effect. Right. In, in my opinion. Because so. yeah, New York has like public transportation. Exactly. California they don't. You got a couple buses. <laughs> you got like three buses and a train. Yeah. That's never on time. Ever. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. So it complicates things. As a as a normal train commuter, I can attest to the tardiness of said train. <laughs> it deviates from the course. It's like uh it's like in uh the Darjeeling Limited. Have you seen that? Uh, yes. Yeah, we're like the, we're lost. Like, how can a train get lost? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's the same vibe. I'm just like, yeah. what is the problem here? Just go, goddammit. it! So, 
Anyway, um, moving on. Has watching this film or perhaps others like it where media ethics are called into question, has that changed your perception on what you believe when watching the news? Uh, not necessarily. If anything, I think it kind of just supported my, I don't know, my distrust and disdain for cable news. I don't like cable news. Um, I don't, I mean, I like CNN and such, but even I take that with a grain of salt. I think that the cable news it, and, and this movie does a really good job of showing it, but they, they sensationalize stories and this they sensationalize violence and they, they dramatize the narrative kind of, of these mundane stories. And it really angers me. It's uh why does everything have to start out with, you know, woman stabbed at daycare? And it's just like, Oh man, I don't want to take my kids to daycare anymore. <laughs> right. And it's, it's fear mongering. I, I had, just, I had a switchblade comb, but I didn't have a real <laughs> knife. There you go. Right. I had one too. I won at the school fair. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like 20 tickets, baby. Did the, did the pop shot and I got a lot of tickets. Oh, so, uh, I and then I think the kazoo if I had 20 tickets. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I think that things like Facebook just amplify this and they compound on, on, on local news. I mean, think of how many, I know you don't really have Facebook, but, uh, a lot of, captious posts that i've seen are, are backed up from people posting you know combo news article seattle is dying and i'm like no 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 knock it off you you guys see heroin in, in heroin you and and there's there is an issue here or like with homeless i mean that's so a lot of my out of town <laughs> friends seattle has a homeless problem yeah sure i, I was rooting my, for the hockey team to be called the seattle homeless <laughs> jesus but a lot of my friends i'm just like Look, if you don't live here, I don't really think you have a right to to say anything about it because I don't I mean, I see issues, but it's not as bad as what the media portrays it as. And I'm, I'm being honest. So I think that 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 bugs me about cable news. Like, that's the thing that bugs me about cable news. Right. Well, I think so when you drive along the freeway and you just see 10,000 tents or when you go, you know, most downtowns tend to be pretty edgy and dicey. But like over by the courthouse where you just hear a police siren every five seconds, the, you know, the transit center is, is loaded with homeless people and yeah. that's the shot that they use. You know, yeah. it's like homelessness is a problem in Seattle and it's like, well, yeah, you went to like a, a central hub of public transportation and yeah, that's where you're going to see the homeless people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I get it. It's all fabricated. Um, you know, I took this amazing media ethics class in college and the ideas that we would talk about and throw out of, of sort of skewing reality was like, you know, there's a homeless man sleeping on the ground and, you know, 10 feet over is this mural of the American flag. And it's like, is it unethical for that photographer to wake the nice man up and say, hey, can I trouble you just to scoot over a little bit and lay underneath that mural so I can get this photo? Because... Now you've altered realities. Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. He's lying on the ground. But the idea was, you know, land of the free. But at what cost? Here he's homeless kind of thing. And then like, or maybe it's when soldiers come return from from uh, wartime or something in Dover, Delaware, and it's just caskets being unloaded from the plane. And the caption is, uh, you know, the boys are home for Christmas. And mm -hmm. it's just people unloading caskets. You know, that's a pretty remarkable headline to see yeah. something like that. It would be jarring and sad. And it's at these families' expenses. And um, 
it's just hard. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that in the case of Julia Gulia, who's trying to keep her station running and have sponsorship dollars and ratings, she needs to do what she can to get the most eyes on the screen. Right. And like, and I understand that aspect of it for sure. It's just, uh, it still doesn't make me feel good. You know, I mean, being an adult has really changed my, my mind on, on that kind of stuff. I think if I was younger, obviously I would just consume it, but yeah, having, having agency as I've grown, I've I've been like, wait a minute, something's not right here. So let me ask you, do you remember the first time that you questioned what was real when watching the news or maybe when you spotted some fabricated fear factor that really shouldn't exist? Fear Factor with Joe Rogan. Uh, I think that, I think, and this is kind of like my default answer, but about 25, like my mid-20s, that's probably when I really started to kind of just expand my mind and and like my brain power, my mind control, and uh, not not become a lemming, basically. Um, I think specifically, though, more recently in these past maybe five years. Real quick, let's just say real quick, uh, we do wear masks and we do believe in COVID. <laughs> yeah. There is no underlining theme here. We're just questioning motives in this movie and just news in general. But yes, we are all safe on this podcast. We wear masks. We don't go out. We take lockdown seriously. Thank you. I'm wearing a mask right now. I'm sanitizing <laughs> my hands. Uh, there, there was no voter fraud. That's a fucking myth. Um, get out of your bunker. QAnon is the most dangerous thing to this country, aside from uh, blatant racism. And <laughs> so, yeah, we are good guys. We are so good guys. Anyways, but yeah. M- Back recently, when you were 25 with your paw <laughs> hanging out, what were, you, what were you talking about your news? Well, so so more more recently in maybe the past five or six years, um, I've seen just like a lot of captious social media posts where people are just kind of utilizing what do they call it? Fictitious anecdotal evidence. Let's just call it that. Uh, basically, my mom said this or my my friend said this and I found this on their post and this is what Trump did. And this is and I'm like, wait a minute, what? That's like a MS paint thing that someone just posted there and you're using that as evidence. So. I guess that's that's where it can come into an issue. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who grew up with the cable news and that's all they know. And social media is still a new thing to them and they don't know how to separate real news from fake news. So it has, uh, if anything, it's it's just made cable news networks just, you know, amplified for all their right. BS. And I think there's something to be said that when you read something, you just think it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like... Well, it's written in print right here. It's got to be true, right? <laughs> well, especially with headlines, too. I yeah. mean, think of like BuzzFeed. They're like, the 15 things you shouldn't do to get zits. Number 11 will blow your mind or whatever. And you're like, oh, shit, clickbait. I need to I need to read that right now. So mm-hmm. That's fair. I think for me, I was a teenager and there was a lot of gang violence on the news in the 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was like the whole gangster rap era thing going and and like oh, N.W.A. Yeah. And and of course, there was uh, the riots in 92 and th- the news just fed off of that. And so for me, that was a bulk of it. So it was like my mom's like, don't go to L.A. You'll get shot by a gang. You know, and, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so there was a lot of that. And I just remember just kind of hanging out at like a 7-Eleven and I don't see anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not like in like the roughest neighborhood ever. Of course, of course, uh, you know, I'm sure homicides were up and, and robberies were up and all these things. But it was played on a point to where 
if you existed in Los Angeles, you were going to get shot. Like if you just walked down the street, horrible <laughs> things were going to happen to you. And that's how it was portrayed. And so when you see that and this this level of seriousness that exists, you start to get scared. And you're like, oh, shit, man, you can't, you know, I can't wear, you know, British night shoes or something or I'm going to get shot. And. You know, you hear all these things about, oh, man, don't don't wear red or don't wear blue and, you know, crit for life and uh, locked down at the rec center. Locked, so, locked down at the rec center. <laughs> so, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so it's just different. You know, you're like, holy shit, like this, this could happen. But I mean, that was that was what my childhood was like. It was like, oh, my God, don't go to L.A. You're going to get murdered. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, now it's not even like that. Now it's just it could be a it could be a school in Florida. Or it could be a, a a school in Connecticut, and you can get shot. It's terrible. It's not even it's not L.A. It's it's the schools that you go to, where you actually have to get some kind of, you know, crisis training and be like active shooter training. That's fucking nuts. You're supposed to be safe at school. Yeah, exactly. It's not, and and it just it gets the bad rap because it's the the biggest and most popular. It's the Biggest name. It's like a celebrity, right? Celebrity mm-hmm. can take a shit in a, in a bathroom and it might smell funny. And that's like the hottest news of the week. And it's like, what are you talking about? Everyone poops. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I agree, man. It's crazy stuff. Same thing with New York. First time I went to New York, in the back of my mind, I, I wasn't scared. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I remember growing up and thinking that New York was like, not a lot better than he a kid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but it definitely wasn't like that. And sure, you're going to have rough parts, but it's all in how you carry yourself. And, you know, like every time I travel internationally, people are like, oh, yeah, make sure you have one of the wallets you wear on your body. I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah, need that Fromer. Picture. Arthur Fromer. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't need that shit. Uh, just Where be sensible. <laughs> yes, keep, be sensible about what you're doing. And uh, yeah, I like that. Sure. That's funny. That's funny. It's good stuff. Yeah, I always thought uh, France was full of pickpockets, see? And so yeah. I, I literally had like $20 in my pocket just waiting to be stolen. I'm like, I had it kind of sticking out a little bit. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe someone will bump into me and, and just take my money. And I was really hoping I could have a pickpocket story. And it was all lies. <laughs> I could pick I was, your pocket. I was devastated. I wanted some sleight of hand dude to just bump into me and steal my 20. And be like, oh, that guy took my money. You mean Linus? I yeah. Know. Exactly. <laughs> oh, jeez. Anywho, let's that's uh where was I here? Number four. Number four. There we go. Lou is a bit of a creeper. Have you ever met someone like Lou who reached out to you for a job opportunity, but you just got the creepy crawlies and said, Yeah, we'll uh we'll get back to you. We'll let you know, kid. I I don't know if I've necessarily worked. Um I wrote one down just because I was thinking about it, but I I, I worked at this I don't know how much I can ah, fuck it. Uh, I worked at this gas station and it got a new owner and I can't remember this guy's name and I'm glad I don't, but he was just very weird and just how he talked and kind of how he had these big buggy eyes and how he kind of looked at me. He was weird. Um, and then we had a coffee stand next door and you, a lot of coffee stands and I'm, I'm, um, generalizing oh, the bikini here. ones. No, it wasn't was a bikini, it bikini one, one, but, but the, all, all the girls were, were, were cute. They were really, they were pretty girls. Uh, some of them were like 17 though. They're like two that were 17. And he, 17. he just made like weird comments to me. Like I was his bro and I'm like, oh, I don't like this. And I ended up leaving that job because it was just while I was in college and it was a throwaway job. But 
it was so weird and I don't really know to, I don't care what happened to that guy. I just hope he didn't hurt anybody. He just, <laughs> he was a creep, man. It was, it was very odd. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I get it, man. I remember my, yeah. my comic book store guy was a creep. <laughs> <laughs> really? A comic book store? No. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't tell you that story. No. What podcast was I talking about? Wait, story? yes, you did. Yeah. With my dad. dad like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to let you go there alone. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want me getting raped in the comic store. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and I mean, I so I had this one time. I was I was a courtesy clerk at Albertsons. I was bagging groceries. I was 16 years old, and one of the things that you do is walk stuff out to people's car. Well, this big, big guy with like a mechanics outfit comes in, and he's really odd. He asked for help with his like six bags of groceries out to his car, and I'm by myself. He's gonna kidnap you, bro. It's it's fucking it's nighttime. This guy's like six six. He's huge, and it's like nighttime, right? Because it's seven or eight o'clock at night. He parks all the way in the back of that parking lot, like really far. And so I go out by myself with him, and I'm like, this is really odd. He opens up his his SUV. It has like seven dogs, and they're all just barking like crazy. And he's like, hang on one minute. Just one second. Hang on just one second longer. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to die because I can't see what he's doing in the back of the car. And I just go, hey, um, I got to go. And I ran back inside. <laughs> uh, he came in and complained. But my boss was like, yeah, sorry, uh, he's he's a minor. We can't we can't have uh, minors taking groceries out past seven o'clock. She like made some bullshit up or whatever and gave him like a five dollar gift card. But I was just mortified because I thought he was really going to like hit me with a tire iron and throw me in his car. Sure. I, I think that's no fair. joke. It was it was scary as shit, dude. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but okay, I never go, worked yeah. for that guy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you just took a like a shopping cart out to his car, like the he, they the cart would hold on to the bag, so it shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he yeah, can do one yeah. bag at a time. Well, we were supposed to like help them load into the car, but this guy yeah, seemed pass. capable. It just was. Yep. Yeah, I wasn't trying to go down like a sweet muffin. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I say. I know. I steal all your stuff. That's what well, I, I do. <laughs> I, I stole that from Dodgeball. You go down oh. the floor, go down like a sweet muffin. Oh. We say that when we play video games. Yeah. He goes down like a sweet muffin. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Yeah, there's some there's some creepers out there. And like, you know, you get this sort of vibe, you know, like um, this sixth sense just tells you, this is not a good place to be. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to go now. So like warning, warning, yeah. warning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'm I you know I'm, I don't believe in a whole lot of things. You know, like a, on a spiritual level, anyway. And every once in a while, when you just get like that that little tingling sensation and uh, your little uh, spidey sense, and your your what is it called, like your Peter Tinkle or whatever, and um, it's almost like it's almost like God is just saying, you know what, dude. Why don't you go ahead and take a pass on this one? <laughs> I'll give you a freebie, and uh, you know you're not going to die today. You're going to make the right choice here. So always go with your gut. Yeah, and I think exactly. you did that in this particular yeah. case. Well, I'm here. I'm here today, telling you, telling you my survivor stories. So. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, you don't need no Brutus the Barber beefcake stuffing you in a <laughs> SUV. I don't want no jigsaw story. Jesus. Yeah, pass. I don't like that. So let's talk about Nina. Is she a bad person? 
because, you know, we find out she's really struggling with finding new and creative ways to keep up with ratings. And keep in mind, she's eagerly looking for accidents and violent crimes, as we talked about, in affluent um, white areas, especially those committed by minority suspects. Um, do you blame her for having the, you know, her behavior in, in manipulating the narrative to strike fear in the public? Or do you consider networks like hers, this, this fictitious one, or even Fox News, you know, to be more like news entertainment and should be taken at entertainment value? Or, you know, should we take it with a grain of salt? How do you feel about that? Well, it's not really for me to say because it's sort of fictitious, but it's kind of not. But I'll give you a I'll give you good and bad. So I think she's bad because she she bends and she skirts the truth in in a way to kind of mold a narrative that gives her essentially ratings. It just gives her ratings, which get her a job. And she's all about self-preservation, I think. I think that's safe to say. Right. I think you have to be in that business. Yeah, exactly. It's cutthroat. And she's totally willing to just be incredibly unethical to get, you know, the job done. Um. So I, I, I think... I think that's that's really dangerous <laughs> and it can be really bad. So you can look at it that way. But but here's why she might be good, question mark. You could argue for everything I just said, you could argue against that and say that uh, those are good things because like some people really see it as a strong work ethic uh, to what do they say? Like, you know, whatever you need to do to get the job done, like whatever it takes, that's the kind of mentality to have in the working world sometimes. So, and, and like I just said, cutthroat, especially in the news world, um, we both know a ton of stuff goes on at like tons of different companies, fortune 500 companies. I'm sure there's a lot of unethical things happening and a lot of people climbing to the top in various ways. Um, I don't want to be facetious about it or anything, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and so I kind of question, I'm like, well, is what she's doing really that awful compared to those other Fortune 500 companies? And she's she's like, she's not committing these crimes himself. She's not going out and killing people. Uh, she's just kind of using his uh, this, this video footage she's finding, which is this diamond in the rough uh, to a power position. She's playing a power position. And like, I don't think that her network helps her at all, really. I just think there's no guarantee of finding the truth and, and presenting it to viewers. And that's what the network pushes at. I mean, like remember the scene when they're, they're producing and she keeps saying, emphasize that, emphasize that, like that kind of shit. I don't think the network is really, we're, we're, we're going to give the truth to our viewers. They're like, no, no, no we want ratings too. It's um, right. But pretty I think dark, I think at the, I think that the public looks to the news to, to see what's going on based on, facts and proof and evidence. And so I think that there's this level of trust that needs to exist between the viewer and the news network. And she is going out of her way to only show certain things to, to lead people in a different direction. And so in my media ethics class, the one thing that my biggest takeaway was that the only unbiased journalism was box scores because it's just numbers. <laughs> That's true. That's good. And that's very accurate. Yeah. I mean, in college, I studied, uh, you know, policing in the media and community justice and stuff. I mean, and you talked about it, too, growing up with the whole rap music culture, the gangster rap culture. I mean, all of that stuff was um, fabricated, essentially, or blown out of proportion in order to be a scare tactic, pretty much. Um, you listen to this music and you're going you're gonna to kill people. Yeah. It incites like, look violence. At, 
look at the uh what is it the west memphis three the three kids that got accused of murdering um two girls in like i think it was like mississippi or something like that back in the 90s 80s 90s they were on like death row until pearl jam and and, uh, some other bands got them out you know like 30 years 20 years later or something but the reason they were found guilty was because they dressed in black and they listened to metallica and they had some other things and so everyone was like they definitely are devil worshippers because of their music and so they definitely killed them it's super fucked up but i mean the media perpetuates this type of belief that these are bad things and this is awful so it's just so mind-blowing to me but that's a good point box scores man they're unbiased (laughs) yeah that's how they do it's numbers see numbers don't lie yeah but i mean you know there are times when a journalist will uh, have to apologize because they embellish a story or they lied and it's like their credibility is immediately out the window right and that's nuts you know or a news network uh, runs a story like there was the whole Chevrolets explode when they get hit by the, by the side of the car because that's where the gas tank is or something and <laughs> they, they 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 wreck a car 18 times till it finally blows up and they're like say I told you so or whatever <laughs> and so uh, there's always some sort of scandal that will exist and, and then people will forget about it. Or like saber printers catch on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the worst. It's All goddamn right. cheap printers. What can you do? Back to Lou. He's obviously a smart guy. You know, we've discussed how he's a creeper and, and simply just off-putting, but I think it's important to recognize there's a stroke of brilliance in his part. Um, yeah, 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 he's a thief and a hustler, but I think that that's part of just being smarter than the average bear. You know, looking at the world a little bit differently and using his creative and manipulative skills to get what he wants. Now, do you find yourself rooting for this guy at any point in the movie? Or were you hoping to see him go down, as we say, like a sweet muffin? <laughs> Should make t-shirts that say that. Um, you know, I think that's the beauty of Nightcrawler is we empathize with the anti-hero, the villain. I didn't. <laughs> Well, but but you were you invested in his story? I mean, I I was invested to watch him go down like a sweet muffin and he didn't. So, I mean, that's still kind of you're still invested in it. Right. So let me give you these examples. So like Walter White, Michael Corleone, Travis Bickle, Tony Montana, Tony Soprano and like Patrick Bateman. How did you feel when you watched any of those shows or movies? Because I'm pretty sure you've seen all of those. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they're different because so like Michael wasn't always a bad guy. Michael Corleone, he was he was an army veteran and he returned from the war and he got pulled into his family's business and he was supposed to be the good kid. He was supposed to be the one kept out of the family business Mm -hmm. uh, because he was better than that. And so his is more about a downfall. Uh, You know, he was supposed to go one path and he chose a different one. Um, whereas like Scarface, he's murdering people in the first five minutes of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. He's a bad guy. And you know, and you're not really, some people might root for Tony Montana, but when he, when you see how jealous he is of his sister to the point where he kills his best friend, you would think that someone that you knew and loved and trust would be worthy of dating, you know, a family member, but he doesn't look at it that way. So he's just a bad dude all around. Um, Bateman, he's terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's a downright psycho, and he's gross. Um, he's fun to look at, and and he and it's done in a way to where it's entertaining. But the entire movie, I was waiting for Willem Dafoe to arrest his ass, and mm-hmm. you know that doesn't exactly happen. So um, 
I maybe I'm just different to where I'm not necessarily rooting for the bad guy. I do think that there are movies where I have rooted for the bad guy, like like Venom, for example. I think Venom is a good anti-hero kind of movie because mm-hmm. he was a, a not necessarily a bad person, but just sort of morally flexible. You know, he's he had a lot of gray, and he was given this extraordinary opportunity, and he was at the end he was looking out for his fellow man, like how he saves the, the rest of the uh, convenience store clerk and everything. So I, I think it just, it's how in they're all portrayed, but for the bulk of those movies that you mentioned, most of those people are already terrible human beings. Right. But I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is I think subconsciously we, we root for them though. It's, and I think it's because we can empathize, uh, empathize with them. So, so like you for, empathized with Lou. Well, let me explain. So like with Lou, Okay, he's polite, right? He's not an asshole. Because I think immediately I would be like, all right, he's a piece of shit. I, I'm not invested into his character, but he's polite. And it's, even though I've seen this movie, if, if I went into it, I'd be like, well, at least he's really nice. Like, what's the weird thing? But even thing? at he's, the beginning, he beat up the security well, guard and stole his sure, watch. Like, sure. He's just doing his job. He's got a wife and kids right, at home. right. But I was, I was looking for maybe there could be a character arc. Maybe he comes to and he's like oh shit what did i do and turn himself in or whatever and you know it's a christmas miracle or who knows right <laughs> christmas but, goose. but what i mean is like he was very polite so that's it, it's things that can captivate just general audiences too uh he's a hard worker he wanted to create something on his own he like wanted to make his own business in his career right um he's brutally honest even to a fault uh he's always trying to self-improve to better himself and i think if you look at all of these things those are those are his goals and they're so crystal clear in this movie and gilroy did an amazing job of, of showing that is it's there's no ambiguity it's his goals are he wants to start a company uh from the ground work all the way up and then get to the top and have his own video production news corporation right he he explains that in that awesome scene to nina where he negotiates with her in this very, very creepy manner and then, um, you know, implies that he's going to rape her and she's going to like it. And I'm just like, oh, God. Um, but his, his motives are very, very clear. So take out all the unethical things and all the, the, the horribleness. You can see what's going on and you're kind of like, OK, well, I want to see what happens to him at the end. Is he going to get caught? He has to get caught because that's the way movies go. He needs to get caught because he's a bad person. So you are invested into that, right? Um, and so I think it's so fascinating when you, when you, if I were to not tell you any of the middle, I just said, it's about a guy who starts out doing some thief, some thievery in the beginning as <laughs> a low life. Stuff, <laughs> and then he, he ends up owning his own company at the end of it. You'd be like, oh, it's probably because he's got a heart of gold or something. Um, I, I think, I think there's something that can be said about that. And those are like, those are really good qualities. Like I was explaining, you know, trying to better himself and, and being polite and all that. Um, and like, he didn't invent the life of night crawling. He didn't invent being a stringer. He just, he, he became proficient in it. Is it any different than someone like a car salesman, a lawyer, a stock trader or cops? I mean, there's a lot of unethical things that they can do. Look at, look what's happening right now on wall street where these short sales and uh, we're, we're finding out from these brokers, like we're exposing them because some Reddit fanboys got on there and we're like, fuck you guys. We're going to uh, drive up the price of GameStop. 
these stock traders been doing this shit forever and now they're crying about it because they're like this is wrong this is illegal and i'm like bitch you've been playing with our money for for uh, you know a century it's crazy to me. So, I mean, I think it just, you have to weigh the differences between that and see what's not, I mean, they're not killing anybody. I hope they're not at least, but I, I think that it's just so broad. Does that, does that make any sense? Uh, I see what you're saying, but I, yeah, for me, you know, he steals the, he is a thief. He hurts somebody. He steals another guy's bike. He goes to the pawn shop. He gets the materials that he needs without doing the work for it. Absolutely. You know, he, it's not. It's not like he. It's not like he went to night school and learned how to be a photographer and all this stuff. He he literally took shortcuts to get there. But he and taught himself how to be a photographer. He says he, he learns. He says isolation. It's about you know he he can learn all this stuff. So I think that says uh, something too. I mean I've learned. I've self taught myself in things. Right. So I mean in my as I was asking you the question, I told you that he's a smart man. He's uh, yeah. yeah. Got brilliance. I'm not denying that. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm not rooting for a guy that's a fucking thief that hurts people and that doesn't care about the emotions of the people that he's filming, whether they're dying on a gurney, sneaking into their house and trying to get that close up shot or going through and obstructing evidence uh, to stop these people from getting busted or to where he lures out his his companion who ultimately gets shot. I mean, yeah. He's a bad man, and totally. I do not empathize with him in any way. I, I sat through two hours waiting for him to get caught, and he doesn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, and, 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 I, and I, I understand that. And I mean, ultimately, that's what I, I agree with you, that he's a bad person, and I don't agree with what he's doing. Uh, I just, I wanted to kind of show you maybe why I was intrigued by this. And I think, I think it's fantastic how we as, as, people and viewers were just drawn to watch these types of characters and these storylines unfold because it's just like the movie Joker, right? Where it's so dark and you're just like, why am I watching this? I can turn it off at any time, but I'm invested and I want to see what happens. It's because we all want to kind of maybe see what life lingers in that darkness. Um, that's why things like true crime are so damn popular is people are like, well, I don't know murder, but I definitely want to hear about it. And for me, I don't like those shows. I know you don't like them either, but some people eat them up, right? So I think it's interesting. And 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 I'm with you. I agree. Lou is a piece of shit and a awful person, but I still was invested in his story because I was like, what is going to happen? And then when he gets away scot-free, I'm like, you son of a bitch. Right. So. It's all good. So let's talk about the video cam footage do you prefer a shot of the actor filming either you know behind the actor or over the shoulder and we watch the actor holding the camera or would you rather watch the camcorder footage itself you know this film did both but i'm just curious what you prefer uh probably like probably like a healthy combo of both um i guess if i have to choose though it would be the actor holding the camera um unless they did a really good job with the cinematography uh, kind of like the, the POV view, like a point of view, um, like in Halloween, that's a really good example where, you know, it starts out POV and you're like, what is going on? Who is this? And the big reveal, it's a kid, right? Uh, Sinister is another really good one too, where he's watching the home video of the lawnmower going and you're like, who the hell is filming this? I think it works really, really well in horror because it's a mystery who's filming. And I think that is an added element. So in that setting, I would like, just the the camera's view 
but I do like seeing an actor hold it. I mean, there's that creepy part when Jake Gyllenhaal is holding the camera up over um, Bill Paxton as he's on the gurney and he's just staring at him with those dead eyes. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, dead eyes and black yeah. eyes and <laughs> devil's eyes. So I think that was a brilliant moment. So I think a healthy combination of both, but it's it, it depends. That's fine. I think for me, I always like security cam footage to where it's stationary. And so... I don't have to worry about just the the jarring that happens when someone's holding like a handheld. Uh, handheld doesn't necessarily bother me per se, but like when you think of like Stranger Things, did you, did you watch all the Stranger Things? Yeah. So in season two, when they're watching the security cam footage to get um, him through the the facility, I thought that was so awesome where we're just watching the cameras to see when it's safe for him to go without the monsters attacking i thought that was so badass so you're right horror definitely works best with these sort of camera things but i also like the idea of a stationary camera and we're just watching the events unfold especially when there's no audio i think it's really cool to just see what's happening and be like it's almost like a train wreck where you're like oh, i kind of want to watch but i don't and yeah it's uh, <laughs> way more unsettling because uh, there's something about that fly on the wall where where we're watching, they don't know we're watching, and it's creepy. And I, yeah. I kind of I dig that. But yeah, I agree. So at any point, do you feel that the police played too little a role in questioning Lou? Like part of me feels like it would have been more compelling for me if he was more paranoid about the police and that they were always watching him, uh, this felt more like it was more of an afterthought, especially since Lou has crossed over into some really dark territory. And it was really only a matter of time before he does the actual murdering himself to get that shot. Well, yeah, he's, he's a sociopath and I don't think, I don't think we could see him get any more paranoid um, just because I don't think it was in his DNA. He was fucking freak. And like, look at his reaction to seeing those people get murdered. He had this kind of wonderment to it, right? Like he's just like fascinated by it. And it's so disturbing. He just watches with this. Yeah. Like amazement. And he, he, he's worried about how to frame it. Right. He's sick. Yeah. And so Uh, malevolent, I think is a good word for him. Malevolent is good. Yes. Malicious malevolent. And I, I wanted him to get caught you know, uh, by the, detec- the detectives, but the, uh, whole got away with it ending like, uh, what's that movie? Usual suspects. That's uh, it's kind of like that. I think it, I think it worked. Um, I wasn't happy with him getting away, but I also know it's a film. And so it, it invoked emotion in me, but like, think of how many asshole execs out there that clawed their way to the top, doing incredibly unethical things, kind of got to where they were. I talked about that before. Uh, I think the police sub story might have added maybe too much of a distraction since since I I personally I was fully invested on loose character development. And that's funny, though, because it's not his character development isn't like an arc like he didn't change. It's just he went from nothing to something using the same tactics and you hate him even, even more if that <laughs> if that makes sense. And he was isolated in this whole movie. And I think the like I t- touched on earlier, the cinematography did a really wow. good job of showing him in the darkness. too. I thought you were rooting for him. I didn't think you hated him. Oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't rooting for him at all. I think what I mean, what I was trying to get at earlier was. You could if you take out the killing and take out the other things, this is like a typecast for how you can root for somebody, right? They start from the bottom and now they're here. They're up top. 
Um, so in a certain sense, you're, you're like rooting for them, but they do little, they have little moments where you're like, maybe I could root for him, but then you're like, nope, he is a piece of shit. And then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So I was invested in his character, but I wasn't necessarily rooting for him. Gotcha. Like I wanted to see how it all played out. And uh, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, are you happy with the ending of how he he gets to go on and have interns again and, and yell yeah. at these people? And I mean, yeah, I, for, for, for a film, yes, because I also like unconventional nuanced films that take they take something that you're like, OK, well, he has to get caught because of all this because of X, Y and Z. He's such a piece of shit. But guess what? he's getting away with it and there's probably a lot of piece of shit people out there like that and they eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast (laughs) but see i think it would have been cooler if if maybe rick got footage of lou getting killed yeah and he took that footage to the network and he got the payday i think that would have been cooler like it creates a new like rick took everything that lou taught him and now rick's gonna be the new lou yeah like Like a sith lord yeah see that'd be kind of cool so, yeah, fascinating. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. If that would have been the ending, I, I probably would have been cool with that. But uh, this one just still made me feel really odd, you know, mm-hmm. when he's like, remember, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And I'm just like, oh, shit, he's so right. <laughs> right. so scary. And I think I think if Rick would have caught, you know, uh, Lou dying on camera and he walked up close to him and we see Jake Hall through the lens and him seeing what's happening, like, oh, shit, now now I'm the Bill Paxton with the fucked up face in the van, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think that could have, that would have resonated yeah. more with me, but. And you could, and you could have played that either, like, either other, either way, you could have said, he has a moment of, oh, crap, a sudden realization, or he's, like, happy that Rick finally learned the yeah, ways, and he, like, out. smiles or something, you know, as he dies. Because right. just... he's always saying, like, you know, I'm only yelling at you because you can do better, exactly. and then this would be Rick doing better. Are you rushing or are you dragging? Yeah, exactly. Slap, yeah. slap. <laughs> yeah. Slap, slap. Slap, yeah. slap. So, all right. So, uh, final thoughts. What do you got? What do you, what do you, what do you give this movie? Do you give it an A? Are you an, are you an A giving son of a bitch? Are you just so handing one... out free grades? <laughs> this one's really weird because I really enjoyed this movie and I think a lot of people need to watch it. Um, but I have to, I would say take it with a grain of salt and I would be really apprehensive to tell certain people to watch it just because I know how they are. Um, I think for Jake Gyllenhaal's performance alone, it's it's remarkable. I don't necessarily need to see it for a while though, nor do I need to own it. So for me, it's like a B minus. It's I, I've been struggling with that, with that grade because his performance is great and I really, this movie stuck with me, but I don't need to see it again. And so I don't know how to say that. <laughs> we'll just go with a solid B. We'll go solid B. That's what I get. What about you? Uh, for me, it's probably a C plus. I, I didn't enjoy it and I never need to see it again. I can, I can appreciate that people like this movie, but it's not my kind of movie. Uh, so I'm going to give it a C plus. Well, I'm glad I saved the receipt for the 4K steelbook copy that I bought you. Yeah, you can take this <laughs> shit back. Comes with a free camera, too. Give me Starship Troopers instead. There you go. <laughs> with like a, like the European cover. 
Yeah, with Denise Richards. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> with, and Dizzy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and twins. And um, <laughs> you remember that commercial? Too? Yeah, yeah. But um, I I do like Riz Ahmed a lot. I'm I'm looking forward to his acting career, and I and I hope that I see him in a lot more movies. I know you're a big fan as well. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is usually, uh, you know, I think he's really good at playing a creeper. I just like him doing funny stuff. So I. I would appreciate a, a a sequel to Bubble Boy if I could get one. <laughs> yeah, Riz Ahmed is is quickly becoming one of my my new favorite actors. Uh, when I saw him in The Sound of Metal, I was just floored. He is excellent. Yeah, I didn't know who he was until Rogue One. That was my he's, first. He's uh, uh he he's your buddy too. He's in uh Venom. He's the bad guy in Venom. Yeah, I don't even remember that though. Yeah, I mean it's kind of a whatever part, but he's just <laughs> yeah. he he's such a good actor. I'm I'm very happy with with the choices he's been making lately. Sure, so. sure. And then on his IMDb page, it shows that he's going to be in Hamlet, which is exciting. Cool. He's going to be playing Hamlet. I actually mm-hmm. like Hamlet quite a bit. the The Kenneth Branagh version of Hamlet is fucking awesome. And if you have four hours that you want yeah. to spend watching it, it's uh it's shot very wide. It's uh it's really cool. Uh, version of the play and i think you should check it out it's a word for word kind of deal and it's an investment but i think it's really really good as someone that 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 loves to just not think too much when i watch a movie (laughs) i even enjoy it so there you have it cool right on man cool well take us out i appreciate you thanks i appreciate you most of the time cool Wanna dig you and I can't even lie about it. Uh, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Had a lot of fun. Long episode, but it's okay. The power of editing. That's the power of editing. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at Edgy Los Angeles, I mean Edgy Armo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. Thank you, Mr. Andy Parker, uh, for recommending Nightcrawler. Well, it was a C plus for Justin. It was a B for me. <laughs> I, you but I still, me, Andy. no, I you still appreciate this movie a lot. So, um, heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Uh, try to make sure it's streaming because then everyone can watch it and then they can do it. You guys are stoked. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Uh, a lot of fun, awesome show, as well as the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James and Justin. Also an awesome show. All that we ask is please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.